Welcome to The Tipping Point Show. I'm Jimmy Evans. I have a great show for you today, a fascinating topic. I'm interviewing an author, Derek Gilbert. You're going to want to see this. Let me say before I get into the interview that we have our Tipping Point Conference coming up, our Prophecy Conference coming up September 20th and 21st. The tickets are on sale right now. We have tickets. You can come physically. We also have live streaming that's available. Go to conference.endtimes.com. This is going to be a Friday night and all day Saturday. We're adding the Friday night. And we have Pastor Jack Hibbs. A lot of you are familiar with Jack Hibbs. He's very well known, has a television show uh, that's on all the time. And a lot of you have been asking for us to have him. So he's coming to be a part. He'll be our keynote speaker on Friday night. I'll be there. Dr. Mark Hitchcock, uh, Pastor Ed Young, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, of course, Billy Crone will be there also. We have a big lineup and we have coming this year, Max Licato. Max is a dear friend of mine. He is the number one best-selling Christian author of all times, his books have sold more copies than any other books except the Bible. He is a brilliant teacher and he's going to be teaching. He's written books and speaks on the end times. You're going to want to hear him. He's, he's going to be fascinating. So we've got a great lineup of speakers. I want you to be a part of it. So go right now to conference.endtimes.com. You can select your seat there. We have all different kinds of pricing and, and seats available. And so you need to get it while they're still available because we're expecting this to fill up this year. Go right now to conference.endtimes.com. want to see you there. Welcome to the Tipping Point Show. It is my great pleasure today to have joining me on the show, Derek Gilbert. He's the co-host of Unraveling Revelation with his wife, Sharon. They've co-authored the books, Veneration and Giants, Gods and Dragons. And he's joining me today to discuss his most recent book, The Second Coming of Saturn. Derek, thank you for joining me today. It is an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, what I love about your book, you know, and I've heard people talk about things like you have in your book, but this is so pertinent to the days that we're living in. Uh, and you know, there, there is a presence of evil. Uh, your book, by the way, is called the, the Second Coming of Saturn. And you're gonna explain what this is, but it's very, very fascinating. And I think, you know, I, I've said to people, you know, I just, I've taught on the end time for 41 years. I just never thought I would see a world like this. And so, and you, in your book, you call this the Second Coming of Saturn. Uh, are you saying that the Roman god Saturn is real? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, and, and this, we, we draw a lot on the work of uh, our, our good friend, the late Dr. Tom Horn, but also on Dr. Michael Heiser, who yeah. also was called home by the Lord last yeah. year. Uh, his his book, The the, uh, uh, the Unseen Realm, and uh, then other books that kind of built on that, uh, that foundational research, like uh, reversing Hermon and uh, his readers' uh, uh, companions or his commentaries on the uh, the book of First Enoch, really help us to understand what was in the mind of the Hebrew prophets and the apostles, uh, and the early church fathers, for that matter. They understood that the pagan gods of their neighbors, such as Saturn, Jupiter, Apollo, were real entities, but they yeah. were fallen angels. And uh, I think we can agree that Satan is one of those fallen angels. Jesus, in fact, in the uh, New Testament, identifies him. Um, he's a, when he was accused of uh, casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, which means Baal the prince, he says, if Satan casts out demons by his own power, how will Satan's kingdom stand? So he's connecting Satan to Baal. He also does it in Revelation chapter two, the letter to Pergamum, where he says, I know where you live, where Satan dwells. That's a reference to the great altar of Zeus. 
Well, Zeus was the storm god and the king of the pantheon for the Greeks, just as Baal was the storm god, king of the pantheon for the Canaanites. So we, we know Satan as a fallen angel was Zeus, Jupiter, Baal, Saturn. Uh, I decided to do a deep dive. This really builds on research that Sharon and I've been doing for the last eight years. Uh, who was this entity, Saturn? What role does he play? And when we start pulling on the historical threads and what the apostles, the prophets, the early church knew, uh, what the pagans around ancient Israel knew, we can identify this character, I think, as the leader of the rebellion in Genesis chapter 6, described very briefly in four verses in Genesis, uh, the leader of the sons of God, these fallen angels who came to earth, commingled with humanity. And then in the book of First Enoch, we learn the extent of their sin, not just commingling their seed with that of humanity, but also teaching us forbidden knowledge. And it was clear to the prophets and the apostles that that was why the world is in the state it's in. Yes, the Genesis 3 fall in the Garden of Eden, very important. That is what got us kicked out of God's uh, garden, his holy mountain. Eden was on a mountain, Ezekiel 28. But the sin in Genesis chapter 6, where we were convinced by these entities not only to worship them, but then to practice these occult rituals and yeah. divination and spell casting and so forth, uh, there is a lot packed in there. The book, The Second Coming of Saturn, actually it was intended to address one question. What happened to the leader of that rebellion? And I think the answer is not only is he the character called Kronos by the Greeks, Saturn by the Romans, and a number of other names throughout the ancient world, uh, but he will return in Revelation 9 as the destroyer, Abaddon or Apollyon. How has, and you talked about the book of First Enoch. Now, the book of First Enoch is not canonized, but I believe, now not Second Enoch and other books, but First Enoch, it's a special book because it gives very special revelation from Enoch as to the identity of these fallen angels and what they did, and actually the origin of demons. But you, you talked mm -hmm. about, you know, Saturn will return. This is coming to, called the second coming of Saturn. And really, Derek, it really helps to explain some of the things that are happening in the world right now, because you talk about a conjunction, the great conjunction. Talk about that for just a minute. On the winter solstice of 2020, December 21st, and the solstices, uh, the winter, uh, summer solstice, these are very important dates for occultists. Now, as Christians, we understand our fates, our destinies are not governed by the movements of planets in the sky or uh, right. you know, certain points in the calendar year, like the solstice, uh, solstices, the equinoxes. But there are very important, very wealthy people in this world who do, even to this day. I mean, uh, we as Christians, you know, many of us consider Ronald Reagan to be the greatest American president, at least in the modern era, but uh, we forget that his calendar was set by his wife, Nancy, in consultation with her astrologer, Gene yeah, Dixon. Yeah. So this is not an unusual concept. Um, on December 21st, you might remember the, uh, 2020, the news was full of stories about the Christmas star, how Jupiter and Saturn were coming together in the night sky, and that this is probably what the, the wise men saw back 2,000 years ago. Well, no, it's not what they saw, but more importantly, for astrologers and for occult adepts who are looking for signs to begin a new age. This is not just a term. They really are looking to kick off a new era of human civilization. This marked the uh, transfer of power, as it were, from Jupiter back to Saturn. Now, if you remember Greek and Roman mythology, the story was that Saturn 
Kronos in his Greek incarnation took over control of the of, of creation from the, their father, the sky god, uh, Oranos in the Greek pantheon. Um, and he, in turn, was overthrown by his son, the storm god, Zeus, or Jupiter, who uh, cast him down to Tartarus, the bottomless pit. Uh, in the year 40 B.C., toward the end of the life of Julius Caesar, the beginning of the reign of Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, a Roman poet named Virgil, who was trying to please his patrons, I guess, when you're a poet, you need wealthy patrons to, you know, put bread on your table. Uh, he suggested that the, the reign of Caesar Augustus, the reign of Octavian, would lead to a new golden age, which uh, um, say justice returns, returns old Saturn's reign with a new breed of men sent down from heaven. Now, uh, this has been interpreted various ways over the centuries. In fact, Emperor Constantine in the fourth century, who legalized Christianity in the right. Roman Empire, took that, took that as a prophecy of Jesus Christ. When you read v Virgil's poem called the Fourth Eclogue, it's clear that this is not a prophecy, uh, a Christian prophecy, a new breed of men sent down from heaven. Uh, we, we tried that back in Genesis chapter six. It didn't end well. No. Um, but there are those who still see this as a future golden age. This is based on uh, the Greek poet Hesiod, who saw that uh, back in the days when Kronos ruled in heaven, there was a, a race of men who had all good things. That was the golden age. Then it was followed by a silver age, which is not quite as good, a bronze age, which was uh, harsh, and then the iron age, which is the age in which uh, Virgil was living at the time he wrote that poem. But they're looking forward to Saturn's return, the return of Kronos, the return of this entity, Shemiyaza, the leader of the Watchers from Genesis chapter 6, to bring with him a golden age. And I think that there is a powerful group, uh, the, the type of people who will attend events like uh, the World Economic Forum, right. which just concluded in Davos, Switzerland, right. uh, who think that the, this, this transfer of power was signaled by the Great Conjunction on the winter solstice of 2020. And what's really interesting, uh, Jimmy, is that uh, that took place, uh, the, the meeting of Saturn and Jupiter in the night sky at zero degrees of the constellation Aquarius, which means that effectively on the winter solstice of 2020, 50 years after that uh, song was a hit, you know, the age of Aquarius, right. yeah. we are now, according to astrologers, fully in the age of Aquarius. And I think these people, the wealthy, those who want to reset human civilization along their lines, think that this is the beginning of a new golden age. Well, it sure seems like to me, Derek, you were talking about the conjunction. It, it seems like evil has increased, you know, in, in the last few years. It's just, there, it's, a, it's something palpable. We look back to October 7th, uh, the Hamas attacks, which were, you know, unparalleled in, uh, maybe not unparalleled in human history, but certainly in modern history of just this horrific violence there. And then the anti-Semitism that's in the world right now, which is a spirit. And I've said it before, anti-Semitism is not, a, it's not a ideology, it's a spirit because no one can articulate it of why they hate the Jews. You know, they all have their different reasons, but it's just like something has been released in a new level. And I think that what you're saying is it goes back to the conjunction because, you know, Genesis 1 says that God uh, created the sun, moon, and stars for signs and for seasons. And he, God uses the sun, moon, and stars, not for the same reason the astrologers do, but for his own reasons. And so I just think that it seems to me, when I was reading your book, it makes sense. Because not only do we know from Genesis 6, 
and, and you were talking about the golden age, it says they were men of renown. And I was reading, and this is Genesis 6, it talks about there were giants on the earth, men of renown. Well, the one of the commentaries I was reading said the reason that the writer didn't go, Moses didn't go into detail is because people of that age would have known what he was talking about. It didn't need a reference right. point. They knew who they were. Well, now we look back, that's Saturn, that's Apollo, that's all these different uh, figures that we look back on. Many people look back at those as mythological figures. They're not mythological figures. Those were actual figures. So, so go ahead with what you're saying. How does this how does this, the conjunction and what you're talking about, how does this affect us today? Well, I, I think you hit on one aspect of it with the uh, the attack on October 7th by Hamas. Um, and uh, we, we just want to acknowledge that uh, friends of ours who've led several of the tours that Sharon and I have taken to uh, Israel are now uh, serving in the IDF reserve. So you've got <clears throat> men who, uh, you know, not to insult them, but they're, they're years past their peak fighting age who are now, and women too, who are uh, now serving in the reserves. Uh, in fact, an archeologist we spent a day with uh, visiting megalithic sites on the Golan Heights last March, now serving in the reserves and protecting um, communities in the north of Israel. So, uh, but this goes way, way back. I, th I think we can trace this back. In fact, I'm gonna do uh, uh, th this is going to be part of a book that Sharon and I are working on for later this year. My wife Sharon and I have co-authored two and we're working on another one called The Gates of Hell. Um, I think this conflict for Israel uh, goes back to this rebellion in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, the Canaanites knew this entity called Kronos uh, by the Greeks and Saturn by the Romans. They called him El. Not El Elyon or El Shaddai, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but El of the Canaanites, who was the father god of their pantheon, who, like uh, like Kronos and Zeus, was replaced at the top of the pantheon by the storm god, Baal. There are a number of sites in and around Israel that were sacred to this entity. Right. Uh, and in the book, The Second Coming of Saturn, I trace all of the identities and this is this was known to uh, the pagan authors of the classical world. They've got uh, uh, multilingual god lists that have been discovered by archaeologists over the last century, sort of like the uh, clay tablet version of Google Translate, where they will list all of the gods of the, the Canaanites here and all the gods of the Akkadians here and all the gods of the Babylonians here, the gods of the Hurrians here. And that way you knew who you were supposed to pray to in the various languages. Um, El of the Canaanites was known as... Um, Asher to the Assyrians. He was called Enlil by the Babylonians. He was known as Milcom to the Ammonites, which means he is Molech of the Hebrews. Wow. So this entity, Kronos, Saturn, El, was Molech. And Molech is probably the most reviled, uh, notorious of the pagan gods in the Bible. I mean, this is the one who is demanding child sacrifice. Yeah. Well, yeah, so did Kronos of the Greeks. So did Saturn of the Romans. His Phoenician counterpart, Baal Haman, uh, likewise, the Tophets of the Phoenicians are infamous in the ancient world. At Carthage, on the islands of Sardinia, Sicily, southern Spain, they found these uh, multiple uh, cemeteries with, with uh, the, the remains of young infants under the age of two. This is who this entity is. And this is the entity who wanted to claim the land that God had declared his since the time of Abraham, when he pointed Abraham to Mount Moriah for the binding of Isaac, uh, this entity, even though he is chained up in the abyss, and we know this from 2 Peter 2, verse 4, where he, he says, uh, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them down to, our English Bibles say hell, but the word in Greek is Tartarosis, not Hades. Tartarus is a separate place reserved for supernatural 
rebels. Wow. This entity and his colleagues from Genesis chapter 6, those sons of God, they are the entities in Tartarus. In other words, the titans of the Greeks and the Romans are the watchers, the sons of God from Genesis chapter 6. Same group, just uh, the Bible has the real news version and the mythology we were taught in high school is the fake news version. So this entity, Milcom, El, Kronos, Saturn, whatever you want to call him, convinced Solomon shortly after completing construction of the temple on the Temple Mount, convinced Solomon to build a high place. He built several, actually, one for Astarte, one for Chemosh, but one for Milcom, Molech, Enlil, El, etc., on the Mount of Olives to the east. And uh, anyone who's been to Israel knows that the Mount of Olives is higher than the Temple Mount. Right. So when you opened the door of Solomon's temple, you would look across the Kidron Valley and look up on this high place for this entity, Molech. And uh, Jesus, I think, uh, signaled the importance of this long war against this particular entity by what he did during the final week of his life, where he spent the last week of his life dividing his time between teaching in the temple, on the Temple Mount, and teaching on the Mount of Olives. Hmm. He raised Lazarus from the dead there. He delivered the Olivet Discourse, his longest teaching on what would happen in the end times on this mountain. He was arrested there. He was crucified there, buried there, descended into the abyss, according to 1 Peter 3.19, where he proclaimed to yeah. the spirits in prison. He basically went down and declared victory over this entity, Saturn, Kronos, El, Molech. And then he was uh, raised up again. And according to the Gospel of Luke, he ascended into heaven from Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives. And of course, Zechariah 14 tells us he returns to the Mount of Olives. Right. So this entity, El of the Canaanites, with his holy place on Mount Hermon, which is the northernmost mountain in Israel and the highest mountain anywhere near Israel, um, a, a scholar referred to it as the Canaanite Olympus. To think about it that way is where the Canaanites believe their gods met. That's where Jesus went for the transfiguration. Right. At the base of that mountain, Caesarea Philippi is where yeah. he declared his divinity. Blessed are you, Peter. Uh, and uh, you've got uh, the, the Carmel, which is means vineyard of El. You've got Bethel, which means house or temple of El. Um, and he, his other identity known to the Philistines as Dagon the chief god of the Philistines, even well into the Christian era, the chief god, the patron god of the city of Gaza called uh, Marnus, just another name for Dagon or El or Molech. Same entity. And I think, Jimmy, one of the most fascinating uh, takeaways from the study of this particular entity is that he is in the abyss, he and his colleagues, locked up in chains in gloomy darkness, according to Peter and Jude, while Satan still wanders the earth. Is this entity even more dangerous than Satan. God found it necessary to lock these fellows up while on the earth, tempting, lying, destroying. Um, he gets out at the end for five months, but uh, only five months. But I think this long war, even from his prison cell in the bottomless pit, is still working through minions to influence things, influence things in this world. As we know now for the fifth consecutive year, the number one cause of death on earth is the sacrifice of children through abortion. Oh, wow. So you believe now, so you believe that Satan is Saturn. Is that correct? Uh, no, two separate entities. Two separate entities. Yes, yeah, Saturn is this old entity, Shemiyaza to the Hebrews, uh, called Enlil by the Babylonians, El by the Canaanites, Molech by the Hebrews. Saturn, or Satan rather, is the storm god, Baal, Jupiter, Zeus, 
Thor, which is disappointing because we're fans of those movies. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it is what it is. The storm god in many cultures around the world wound up, even in the uh, the ancient Indian pantheon, wound up as the uh, the chief god of the pantheon, the king of the pantheon. And usually it's through a rebellion against their father, the grain god. Even the ancient Hittites and Hurrians, the Hurrian story is probably the oldest, and I detail that in some uh, some length in the book, The Second Coming of Saturn. Their version of these gods was Kumarbi, the equivalent of Saturn, and Teshub, the equivalent of uh, Zeus. And that that version of the story probably goes back more than more than five thousand years. And so, do you believe that Saturn's return is prophesied in the Bible? Yes, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, the angel of the bottomless pit, the king over those in the bottomless pit. And that's how I connect that entity to the stories of the Greeks and the Romans. We know that there are entities in the bottomless pit, according to Peter and Jude. Um, who would they be? Well, the sinful angels, according to Peter and Jude, in the context of their epistles, committed a sexual sin. And the only place in Scripture where that took place is Genesis chapter 6. Right. Interestingly, we read in Genesis uh, 8 and 9, the length of time that Noah's Ark is on the water is 150 days. Now, you know that numbers in, in the scriptures are very often symbolic. The number 70, for example, doesn't mean seven times 10. It means all of them, every last one, the complete set, not one left out. That's what 70 represents. 150 is a little odd. It's the only place in the Bible we see that number used until you get to Revelation chapter 9 and this entity, the king of the bottomless pit, Abaddon, Apollyon, the destroyer, comes out and leads his uh, people to torment those without the seal of God, the mark of God on their foreheads for five months exactly, which uh, in a lunar calendar wow. of 30 days is exactly 150 days. Wow. Um, but I think what even is is a better connection uh, is that the Mount of Olives, according to First Kings, was referred to by the, uh, uh, the priests as the Mount of Corruption in English, but in Hebrew, that's Har Hatmashkith, which literally means Mount of the Destroyer. The mountain that had the high place for Molech on it, built by Solomon, was wow. called the Mount of the Destroyer. The Destroyer comes out of the abyss in Revelation 9, and I think that's that same entity who's been imprisoned since before the flood of Noah. And so you say in the U.S. Capitol, there's actually some artwork there that is symbolic of the return of Saturn, is that correct? Yes, inside the uh, dome of the U.S. Capitol is a painting called the Apotheosis of Washington, which shows George Washington being elevated to the pantheon of the pagan gods. I think Washington himself would have been horrified to find himself painted this way in the 1860s. Uh, but it shows him seated between um, justice and liberty. Goddesses representing justice and liberty. And again, as you know, modern Christians, we can just say, well, that's just, you know, that's just art. It's just symbolic, representational. If we are a Christian nation, why would we paint Washington becoming a god in the first place? And secondly, amongst the pantheon. Now, Tom Horn has written extensively about this. His books, uh, Apollyon Rising 2012, Zenith 2016, he showed the meaning of this. I think taking it a step further, seeing Washington seated with his legs wrapped in purple cloth. Purple is a symbol from the ancient world of uh, royalty. But um, the temple of Saturn in Rome always had the statue or the idol of Saturn with its legs wrapped in wool, except for the one week period in the month of December during the festival of Saturnalia. Um, when you couple that with some of the architectural curiosities inside the U.S. Capitol, um, there is a, a crypt or a, 
chamber in the crypt, which is just the first floor of the U.S. Capitol, where Washington's body was to be kept. And directly above that was a viewing portal, in a sense, that would have allowed guests in the rotunda to look down on the body of Washington. The painting of Washington, the apotheosis of Washington, is inside what's called the oculus, which is Latin for eye. This was inspired by the Pantheon in Rome, which is a building dedicated to all of their gods, which actually has an opening in the roof where the oculus in the U.S. Capitol is found. Um, And that was to symbolize the portal through which Caesar Augustus was to ascend into the heavens to become a god, the apotheosis of Caesar. So that has been built in the United States Capitol. And again, the depiction of George Washington on that uh, painting in the middle of the oculus, depicting his becoming a god, I think more specifically depicts him becoming Saturn and bringing with him the return to a golden age. Wow. Well, that's the meeting in Davos, Switzerland. That's exactly what they're planning on. You know, Klaus Schwab is the one who's the head of it. He, he made the comment, uh, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And he made the comment this week that in the future we won't need elections. Or last week he made the comment we won't need elections because AI will choose our leaders for us. They, they will know what's best and choose our leaders for us. So they're definitely looking toward this golden age. So what, what is the takeaway, Derek, to, to our audience there? What, what is the, what's happening today? How, how should they respond to the second coming of Saturn? Well, uh, two things. Number one is to understand that the, uh, the, the unseen realm is a lot busier than most of us have been taught. Um, those of us who believe in Satan as a literal entity in the American church are a minority. Uh, according right. to George Barna's research, right. about 60% of American Christians don't think Satan That's is right. even real. Not just Satan. There are other entities at work in here, and the apostles and the prophets knew it. The early church fathers knew it. It's really been since the time of Augustine in the 5th century A.D. that we started to um, allegorize the Bible. It's like, okay, well, Satan isn't really real. He's just a a symbol for the evil that exists inside the human heart. Uh, No, Satan is real, and these other fallen entities are real as well. Read Psalm 82. It's a courtroom scene in heaven. The Lord has already passed judgment on these entities to which he delegated some responsibility. Here, oversee humanity. Humans want to deal with you instead of me. All right, I'll give them what they want. Sort of like the Israelites demanding a king. Okay, I'll give you Saul, but you're not going to be happy about it. (laughs) Uh, But God has already declared a death sentence on these entities. We're just waiting for a sentence to be carried out. Um, There is a long war that is taking place around us. We're we're on a battlefield. And in fact, I, I would argue that we're behind enemy lines. But The Lord never wakes up in the morning. Of course, he never sleeps, but he never at any point in history slaps himself on the forehead and says, boy, I didn't see that coming. So (laughs) all of this has been foreseen and prophesied. We're just hoping that through uh, the books that we write, that we don't stoke fear. That We just said, look, the enemy is aligned against you, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Doesn't matter what the enemy is going to throw against you. Um, could be health issues, financial issues, and I don't belittle any of that because uh, we know a lot of people suffering in this world physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. 
but the Lord has foreseen all of it. And he's promised a day is coming where all wounds will be healed and all tears will be dried. So take heart, look up for your redemption draws near. Well, Satan is very real. You don't have to look far in the world today to see that, but you're exactly right. 60% of Christians don't believe in a literal devil or a literal hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And Jesus, you know, Matthew 4, Luke 4, he fought the devil himself. The devil came and Jesus referred to the devil many, many times. Matthew 24 or Matthew 25, he says, depart from me, you know, in the eternal hell that was created for the devil and his angels. So if the devil's not real and hell's not real, Jesus was a liar and was deluded. He's not. There is a hell there. And the, the great news is, Derek, Jesus said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. We have authority over the devil. That's the good news. But one of the things I see in your book is the reality that we live in a world of good and evil and that that evil is very real. These are real real entities, real personalities. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn wrote the book, Return of the Gods. And part of his premise in that was the gods haven't changed. The same gods, the same entities that you saw in ancient world, they're you know, you talked about Moloch, is the spirit of Moloch is here today. Uh, that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is on a tour this week all over the United States promoting abortion. They want the next election to be about the issue of abortion. And if there's a dividing line, I believe, between Christians and non-Christians and just humanity, is I think it's life, it's, it's abortion, is whether you're pro-life or you're pro-abortion. And so, and I, I mean, I believe that. I think that's a, a critical issue. So let me say, regarding the times we're living in right now, what's happening in Israel is one thing. We see, of course, Russia, Iran, Turkey, North Korea, uh, just the wars and rumors of wars. Now we have Pakistan, you have Ukraine, uh, you know, earthquakes, famines, you know, all these things that are happening. What do, you, what do you believe? I know we don't know the day or the hour and we never set dates, but what do you believe, Derek, about how soon do you believe the return of Jesus is? Well, certainly a lot sooner than it was uh, 2,000 years ago when uh, yeah. the prophecies about it were written. Um, in, in the book, Giants, Gods, and Dragons, Sharon and I explored this idea that the, uh, the fallen entities of the pagan world are real. And we identified what we think are the entities uh, that uh, we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, the rider on the white horse, Apollo, the rider on the black horse, uh, uh, Nabu or Mercury or Hermes, the rider on the, uh, the red horse, of course, the war god Ares or Mars, and uh, of course, the rider on the pale horse, which is where Sharon got the idea for digging deeper into this, is, uh, was a known entity in the, uh, the pagan world, Thanatos or death, and Hades following behind him. Um, we believe that those seals have already been opened, the first five seals in Revelation chapter 6, uh, because we read that uh, the lamb who was slain appearing between the four creatures, the throne guardians, the cherubim, and uh, the father opened the, the uh, uh, began opening those seals upon his arrival. And we know from the book of Acts and uh, elsewhere, the epistles in the New Testament, that uh, Jesus was at the right hand of the father within, well, at least by the time of the stoning of Stephen, where he saw Jesus right. there. Yeah. So we think that those entities are already out and have been riding for 2,000 years, but within limits set by God. So uh, we are still premillennial. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And yet 
we believe the world is in the state it's in not just because of what happened in genesis 3 and genesis 6 but also in genesis uh 10 with the or 11 with the building of the tower of babel but uh, the fact that now we've got these uh horsemen of the apocalypse who are out there riding and uh, things are just ramping up. So we, we see since 2012, since 2020, uh, things are, are, have changed so quickly. Things that just 10 years ago, Jimmy, would have been unthinkable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't want to, you know, d- d- take this into a political direction, but just social, cultural things that just used to be taken for granted uh, now have been stood on their heads. And uh, anyone who dares speak in opposition to it winds up getting canceled or, or yeah. fired or, or whatever. Um if, if the Lord isn't coming soon, I don't see how humanity survives um, another century or two. Um, I, I think we're, we're very, very close to that time. Well, I really do appreciate you being with me today. And your book is called The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple and the Return of the Watchers by Derek Gerbold. I want to encourage everybody to get this book. And also, Derek, is there a website where people can go to find out more about yourself, Sharon, and your ministry? Sure. Uh, GilbertHouse.org is the place to go. GilbertHouse.org. We uh, we put out a lot of content. Uh, we, we do a, a weekly Bible study podcast. We produce a weekly program on the book of Revelation. Well, end times prophecy generally. We call it unraveling revelation. And uh, then a weekly uh podcast that we started back in 2005. So we're one of the oldest podcasts on the internet, but uh, that's, I think, as much because we're old. And uh, once we get into a habit of doing things, we keep doing it. But there's always something to talk about. And especially when you're looking at the uh, events in the world through the light of scripture, you know, geopolitics becomes theopolitics. And uh, they'll find all of that at uh, Gilbert, gilberthouse.org. I want to encourage everybody to go there uh, and look at your, look at your stuff. The Second Coming of Saturn, great book. Derek, thank you for being with me today. Thank you. God bless you guys for joining us. Come back next time for another Tipping Point show. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.